to step up and decide that we don't want to live the Peter Pan lifestyle. It's shallow and temporary and very short term. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Gentleman's Atlas podcast, where we focus on giving you the tools and resources to become the hero of your story. I'm your host, Isaac, and today's honest and authentic conversation is exactly what you need to hear to live life on your terms. So without wasting any time, let's go ahead and get right into today's episode. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back, gentlemen, to another episode on the Gentleman's Atlas podcast. Today is going to be a guest interview where I bring someone where we're going to have a good conversation about self-improvement, about balance, about becoming the best version of ourselves. So without further ado, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is someone that I believe not only seeks to do well in his career, but seeks to do well in his family life and his physical life and takes those steps to live a holistic life of something that's promising, that's good. Someone that's able to have good, authentic conversation because they've done the work to understand where they are and understand that they're on the journey to becoming who they need to be. So without further ado, let me bring on the show, Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. Isaac, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, Chris, I think the best way to start is just to get a little bit of a backstory, see where you came from, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, I think that was very accurate. Like you said, I, you know, I seek to improve myself and my family life and my personal life. So I'm a fitness trainer. I've been a trainer since 2004. Uh, you know, I'm coming up on 20 years now, which is exciting and just flew by. It's amazing. Uh, I remember some of the decisions that I made and one reason why I wanted to become a fitness trainer, you know, as I get older, I want to maintain my health and family was always something that I really wanted even back then. And, uh, I have four kids, uh, and, uh, you know, they keep me busy 10, eight, six, and three, and, uh, you know, trying to optimize all areas of my life, trying to live the best life that I can and, and steadily make progress toward my goals. So, um, one of those goals is meeting people like you and continuing to, you know, hash out conversations and, you know, figure out what each other are up to and, and, uh, you know, generally just create win-win situations for people. Got you. So I think one of the most interesting parts is how has fatherhood changed a lot of the things you've done? Like in terms of like when you're pursuing what's meaningful, right? The purpose, this idea, the fitness stuff that you've been working on for so long, what changes did you see in fatherhood? And what are some of the things that, you know, you thought maybe you would never experience that, you know, fatherhood kind of put you through that? It's a good question. Um, you know, one of the things, and, and, and I'm unique in this, I'm not saying this is like the way by any means, but, um, you know, I started my business originally when I was 24, no kids. And it took a good like eight to 10 years to really develop it to the point where it was sustaining. And I think one of the changes is that I don't think I would have done that if I had kids. I don't think I would have taken that risk. Uh, I still feel like I'm I'm sort of blazing new trails entrepreneurially, if that's a word. Uh, <laughs> but uh much more focused on like, Hey, I, I need to put food on the table like today. And, you know, risk is something that we all have to juggle individually in our lives. And I think I'm, I'm not as open to taking risks in this, unless they're extremely calculated. Um, that's definitely one. I'm just very aware of the fragility of these little individuals and the fact that they need food and three hours after they eat, they're 
they're all chirping. I'm hungry. I'm hungry again. Okay. Um, and just, and it, it may sound like a cliche, but the next thing is just really enjoying, you know, their time, my time with them. And, you know, my son is 10 and I remember the day he was born and, you know, I'm like, how did 10 years fly by? And, you know, he's halfway to being an adult, more than halfway to being an adult. And, uh, I'm like, I want to really enjoy this as much as possible. Cause I'm, I'm done. Uh, you know, four kids, a lot of people are done a lot sooner than that, but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I, I just try to really enjoy the, the little humans that they are and, and, you know, I'm not going to get this time back. So. So did you say you have, you have daughters as well, correct? I have three daughters, three daughters, and, and one son. Gotcha. Yeah. What, um, what are the differences? So like, I mean, like, I know, I don't, I don't have any kids, but the way I've seen from people that I heard, it's like when the father's raising the son, it's like, it's a different thing because the expectations are slightly different. And then when yeah. it's the daughters, it's almost like you want to spoil them more than you want to your son. So like, personally, how has it been? You must've been watching us. Cause that's, that's basically <laughs> what it is. Like I, you know, I only have one son. Sometimes I wonder like, what if I had two, like, would they, the two of them would probably play a lot more. My son is the only boy in a lot of situations. Um, you know, obviously three sisters. Uh, my ex-wife has two nieces. Like her sister has two girls. Um, my girlfriend has a girl. Um, even the cat is a, is a female. So, um, <laughs> we, we try to get one-on-one -on -one time whenever we can. Uh, he's getting into baseball. So playing catch a lot. Uh, but yes, you're hundred percent right. And this is what I do. I, I have certain expectations for him, which is interesting because if my daughter does something that, that deviates from an expectation, I don't find myself coming down on any of them as hard as if my son deviates from an expectation. And, you know, that's definitely something I would like to work on. Cause that's not fair to put so much pressure on his shoulders. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, he's like, like a little mini me. Although I feel like he looks just like my dad, which is a little scary. It's like, I'm parenting my dad in a way, but, uh, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like, I, I don't think it, I don't think you can parent boys and girls the same. I think they're different and then that's good. You know, we're not supposed to be the same, but, yeah. um, you know, I love them all the same, but, uh, they're definitely different. So like he can take a lot of tough love, um, my, my middle daughter, the six-year-old has to be very careful with her because she's very aggressive. Like she has almost like a tomboy personality, mm -hmm. but, I, but if she does something, I can't come down on her heart. I have to just go and hug her and then she feels better and then we can talk about it. So I've learned some things about, you know, how to deal with certain conflict with each of them, which is, which is really interesting. Yeah. I think the, the interesting part too, is, is understanding that you can't raise them the same. Like, I mean, you've seen that, but I think it's even more important part of like when you, when, as they're developing and as they're growing up, what kind of individuals does that shape them to be? And so, you know, right. I think as, especially as men, one of the, I think one of the great things, but one of the bigger responsibilities is that whatever we want in life, we have to get there by creating something like yeah. we're building our life. We don't start really with anything, right? We, we have to earn things. And that's a really good thing. But if you don't appreciate that, especially as a younger, you know, with the young kids, you can, you'll be bitter. You'll feel like you're a victim because you have to do all these things and other people just get things. And then I think with the flip side with like, with the daughters, like they can become their own person and independent and that sort of deal. But at the same time too, if that's not what makes them the happiest, 
they have to right. be able to recognize one their shortcomings, but at the same time recognize what nurturing and what emotional intelligence and all these things feel like. Because if they don't, then they don't develop these aspects. So I think, you know, parenting to me, I think is one of the greatest things any individual yeah. can do. And I think it's yeah. something that while it's such a great blessing, the responsibility to do so is so important to understand. Because if you don't, there's a lot of things that, you know, obviously there's going to be mistakes and things that you're yeah. going to learn from, but there's there's a certain readiness and a certain willingness to learn that needs to come with parenting if you want to make, in a sense, contributable members to society. Agreed. Agreed. And and going into it, knowing that you're going to make all kinds of what you perceive to be mistakes because they're not going to line up with what you thought parenting was going to be like before you became a parent. Uh, and I agree with you um, as far as like what fulfills us. I really think for this for men and women, I think that, you know, having kids is is by far the most fulfilling part of, of my life, you know as far as how I make my income, you know, whether I'm starting a business or get a job or, you know, anything like that, it's, it's really secondary to, to the family. And, um, and I think that's, you know, it's important to remember, cause I know, you know, men biologically, we have a lot longer to decide whether we want to be parents, right? Like I have, I have clients who had like, they were on their second marriage, and in their early 60s, you know, this a male uh, had a, a kid with his younger wife. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, the clock ticks a little differently for women. You know, I think they mature definitely a lot earlier than boys do. Right. Like in middle school, pretty sure I still looked like I was 10 and the, the girls probably looked like they were 20, you know. Um, but, you know, it also limits their their ability to have children. So you know, women, when they get, I guess, in their late twenties and thirties and, you know, start to think about these things. So, um, but I would say like for men and women, it's extremely rewarding and, um, you know, it's your legacy right there. That's your, that's your DNA living on. Yeah. And it's also like, you have your blood that you can pretty much teach everything that you messed up on and yeah. they can start on your footsteps or they get to start in the, um, on your standing on your shoulders. Yeah. The thing about it too is, um, what I don't, what I, a lot of people don't always get about like the parenting thing is like the best thing you can do for a kid is give them everything that you had and then learned, but didn't have, but then let them use that to create their own legacy. Cause a lot of times parents overstep in yeah. the terms of like, they try to define the kids' lives and it's, and it's understandable because especially like if you had a dream of like doing something like I, I I've met people who wanted to go pro and they were yeah. super close, but didn't make it. So what did they do? They trained their kid with everything to do it. Or it happens a lot in business too. They want the kid to to be their heir in the business. They want their business to stay in the family. And yeah. so it's, it's hard because sometimes if you don't, if you're not paying enough attention to the kid, because you're so worried about what you're supposed to be doing, you don't always understand what they actually want. And it's cool. I don't know if you've seen it, but um, usually they say what the kids want in like their younger years, what they express like creatively is usually what they end up doing um, at some point that they love. So it's like yeah. you know, kid really likes art. He's going to do something creative or artistic, whether it's design or whether it's actual, you know, just artist. So it's cool to key on, key on those details. Like I used to I used to work in a fitness faci uh, facility as a children's mm. director. And so I used I mean, I used to work with all types of kids all ages from like four to 13. And so it's, it's appreciating how the kid behaves 
And it's how do I give them support as well as how do I create the important boundaries too? Because I think a lot of times too, it's like, as a parent, it can suck to like have to be the guy that's like, Hey, we can't do that. But it's like, if you don't, you put them in places to fail because if they don't understand that there's certain things that you can and cannot do in the world, you get to this point where they step out and then they feel they, they feel helpless because they've realized that the world they've grown up in isn't the world that actually exists. Right. That's a tough one. And that was for me for a lot of years. I, I didn't set very many limits for, especially my son, because he was the first one. And I just, you know, wanted to have fun and I didn't really know how to like limit behavior because you do, you want to set limits and kids will always test your limits and that's what they're supposed to do. Uh, but I do see a lot of parents with that sort of like, like turning pro type of thing you're talking about. The other thing, oh, one thing I would say about that actually is, you know, I grew up watching Michael Jordan play basketball and like, I'm pretty sure his kids did pretty well in basketball, but they, you know, how are you going to make another Michael Jordan, you know? So, um, and then anytime I do see a parent who's like more active in like pushing their kid into athletics than the kid is, you know, the kid couldn't care less. And the parents like, come on, Johnny, come on, come on. You got this. Go, go, go. You know, I just, if I know that person, I'll say, you know, again, going back to Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan's dad didn't do that. He MJ wanted to play ball himself and he did it. So you're not going to get the kid, um, you know, to a high level by you wanting it badly. The second thing I see and I'm sure you, you know, you're already thinking in these terms. So if you have ever kids, then, you know, you'll already be aware of this. You need to let the kids fail. And I think if you can get them to fail in micro doses, I think that's so powerful, you know, take them to the playground and, and, you know, play with them a little bit, but I don't remember my parents ever playing with me. You know, they just stepped back, they chatted with the other parents and they let me play. Nowadays you go on the playground, you'll see almost as many adults as children. And you'll see the guy, you know, the dad who is holding his his uh, daughter's torso while the daughter's like going across the monkey bars. And I'm like, dude, that daughter, that, that girl is not physically capable of doing that. And now not only are you giving her this false hope that, oh, look how easy it is, but I'm going to do it for you. And that's actually a big killer of self-esteem. Self-esteem comes from two things. It's how lovable you feel, but also how capable. So... Yes parents who do that stuff are basically telling their kids, you're not capable of doing anything except if I'm there. Um, and on the playground is a great way to start that little micro doses of failure. You know, they fall, they hit their head. Okay. They're okay. They'll run. They'll, they'll jump and get back up. So. I think even the, the, the key part that even comes after that's the reaction to what you do. Like, are you judging mm-hmm. them based on the failures and the mistakes that they've made? Um, or how they react to the mistakes that were made as at the, at the same time too. It's like, I think the biggest issue right now with parenting that I've seen um, that, that just, it's something that we have to work on as a, as a society is we look at a lot of times how our parents raised us or even how our parents were raised. And a lot of times we see that and we're like, oh, they were treated really harshly or the parents were too strict or they were punishing with like hitting them and all this stuff. And it's, and it's awful. So our flip side is let's just do everything for them. Let's make sure that they don't have any issues growing up. And when you're crafting an individual who thinks like that, who thinks that they don't have to fail to get better, that they have someone that can do it for them. One, you have two problems. One, they're very hard. It's very hard for them to get independent, which is why you have a lot of kids who are 
20 to 26 who are still living at home. Yeah. And at the same time, you also have kids that, you know, they, they're very entitled to a lot of things. And unfortunately, there's like, and that's the balance part. I think one of the most difficult things to teach a kid is if you have enough to provide for a kid, is teaching them how to struggle for something. Because if right. they have what they need, how do they struggle? And I think that that's, the, that's the, probably one of the biggest keys, I think, into parenting itself is how do you teach someone to want something for himself? Like I remember times, and I had really good relationships with my parents, but I remember times, I remember one time specifically, I was um, driving where I was in the car and my dad was driving. And he told me, he said, where we were having like a bad conversation about something. And he said, I would rather you be angry with me now and Mm -hmm. appreciate it later than appreciate me now and hate me later. Because he said, my job as a father isn't, first to be your friend it's to be your father right. Right. so if i have to say this i'm going to say it and so a lot of times what i understood from that now and it's also when you look back you really understand these moments because as kids we don't always understand these things why because we don't have the experiences and memories to to coincide with them you know if you don't have anything to reference into how are you supposed to know what it means but it's when you look back it's like that really shaped me because it understood that that boundary was established and it was clear but I'm better for it. So I think it's understanding like, Hey, we can't, we can't do everything for our kids. We need to be there when they make the mistakes, but how are they making their mistakes? And I think the, the fit, like what you mentioned about like carrying the, the daughter across, that's another important part too, is how are we letting kids now become independent? How are they able to do if we send them to an overnight camp or a, a week camp or when they're over with their friends, how are they right. behaving? How are they treating the other parents? And it's small things we don't realize and maybe it doesn't seem as important now, but when they're older, that's how they're going to treat their coworkers. That's how they're going to be in relationships. And so I think, I mean, it's such a broad scope, but until we ask ourselves these questions and we're honest about our abilities and what we need to improve on, we're never going to actually get better. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. You know, my, my mom taught preschool for a lot of years and she said, she tells me this, that parents shouldn't look at how the kids necessarily treat them all the time. Cause you know, kids know you really well. They're going to push your buttons and they're going to, they're going to try to push your boundaries. It's how do those kids treat other adults? That's really telling, you know, how respectful are they and things like that. So that's a good thing to look out for. Um, if you have kids, um, secondly, you talk about the entitlement. Um, I grew up watching the Cosby show and I say, you know, say whatever you want about Bill Cosby and what he did and everything, but the show was amazing. And it, it made, I, I think I heard statistics back then, you know, a lot of like young boys and girls, black, white, all colors wanted to be doctors and lawyers, right? Because they were upper middle class, you know, very wealthy on the show. Um, Theo, the kid said something to his dad, like, oh, come on, dad, just buy me that. We're we're rich. And, and Bill Cosby's like, no, 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 no. Your mom and I are rich. You're broke, you know? So... I think that is very wise, right? Like as a child, you don't, you don't have a right to like all the riches in the kingdom. You know, your parents have to feed you. They have to clothe you and bathe you and put a roof over your head. And that's it. Like, you don't, my parents didn't get me a car when I turned 16 and, and very similar to your dad. I think that was a very good thing for me. My grandparents played a little joke. They sent a card in the mail from the East coast and there was like a little lump inside the card. And I opened the card. It's it on uh, the front of the card said fresh from the showroom floor. There's a picture of a car on the front. I'm like, oh, it's a key. And I open it. And it's like a nut and a bolt. 
I'm like, oh, that's messed. <laughs> and it's like, try not to think about it. I'm like, all right. Well, looking back on that, that was that was a good lesson. Um, and then I still remember this to this day. This was 30 years ago. I think I was 12 or 13 years old. And I, uh, I had signed up to be a soccer referee. It's one of the only jobs I could get at that age, right? So I'm refereeing like eight-year-olds, right? And uh, it's a Saturday morning. The game, I think, was probably at nine o'clock. But the previous night, I, I did a church overnight, and we literally did not sleep. We just stayed up all night. And my mom picked me up from the overnight, probably an hour or two before the game started. I went home, and I fell asleep. And she would not let me stay asleep. She's like, Chris, get up, get up, get up. She's poking me, pouring stuff on me. And she's like, you're not missing the game. I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. There's two other referees. It's okay, it's okay. No, you're not missing the game. 30 years later, I still remember that as a lesson in keeping your word. It doesn't matter if you went out and didn't sleep last night. You know, you you signed up to be a ref regardless of what else you did. And that's that personal responsibility that I think, it sounds like you're, you're right there on the same page. Like when you have kids, it's gonna be the same, right? Teaching them and... Your dad sounds like he did a good job too. Yeah, no, it's, I think that's one of the bigger lessons too. A kid can learn is you don't always do as you feel you're doing as, as necessary, you know, whether yeah. or that necessary is determined, but it's, it's an obligation, I think, to, um, to that kid when he understands that as you understood in that situation. And I think another thing that's really cool is back to the dynamic where, where you know, we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, you have three, three daughters and one son, like when you're, when you're teaching these kids certain things, it's like the way you teach things is very interesting in the way I've seen it in the way that, and that, I mean, obviously it's not cutting clear. There's a lot of things that I'll have to adapt to, but the thing that I've seen in the way that I'll probably look into my parenting is like with the son, I understand that where his trajectory leads, as I've seen my own and the people around me, um, it requires him to build a lot of things. So for me, it's like, I really wouldn't give him that many things. Like he would have to earn almost everything. And I'd be okay with that. I'd like to see him struggle and go through tough times and become better and see himself improve because yeah. he wants to, not because he's given the tools to. Um, but of course, you know, guiding him like a mentor, you know, like if you have those moments. And then the flip side with the daughters, it's like, yeah, maybe spoil them is what you could use as a term. But another thing too is like, well, the way I want to see it is how do I teach them to be a good steward of money, how to read situations, how to read people, how to understand people. Um, so very analytical, very psychologically advanced and the intellectual cap capabilities. So when they're in situations, um, they know how to read their situations. And then when they eventually find the partner, that's going to be, you know, the person that technically I'm, you know, I'm marrying away my daughter to, are they able to find the right person as well as someone that can provide them a good, comfortable lifestyle? Because if they're able to process things as an analytical and, and psychological reasoning, they'll understand like, Hey, I can't just date any random guy. If I want to have a nice lifestyle, right? Because right. if they're not given anything, well then, you know, they're, they're a little more like dirty, like in terms of like getting in the dirt and doing stuff. Um, and they might choose another partner that maybe isn't the best choice for them just because they only see some of the aspects, but if they're given more of the things that they want and they see that they want these things, but they're also taught that if you want these things, you have to find someone that can provide these things or do it yourself and they don't want to do them themselves in that capacity or take full responsibility of it, then it's how are they able to find situations? Because a lot of times too, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of girls in society now that get into bad relationships because they don't know how to find a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's, um, there's a lot of considerations. I think um, 
like you talked about, you know, the, the guy, for example, in, in his twenties, who still lives at home, right. Who's kind of delaying adulthood. There's a lot of, there's a lot of males who are, who are, you know, adult age, but who are not men, you know, who are not stepping up. And, um, I don't know, I, just from what I've seen, I would say there's probably more men like that than women. I don't have any statistics to back that up, but, um, I feel like it's, it's hard to go from a boy to a man. It's very hard. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't recognize that it's not just getting older, getting hair on your chest and getting a deeper voice. Like you got to step up and, and, and get into that responsibility and like really relish that responsibility, like put this load on my shoulders. You know, that's, that's, um, that's why I lift weights. You know, it's like the analogy, like if I ever need to carry somebody out of a building or carry my kids or, you know, save somebody's life, like all of the decades of lifting weights, that's what it's for. And, you know, there's like a pride in that, you know, when, uh, like if I'm at the park with my kids, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing like basketball stance. Like, I don't know if you ever played ball, but like if you're on defense and your guy doesn't have the ball, you're not on your guy. You're, you're sagging off. You're in between the ball and your man. You got this wide net peripheral vision because I'm, I'm like the hawk watching the nest, you know? Um, I know back in like, you know, back in the olden days, I think this is like Celtic, you know, the, the women would be inside during like a birth, right. They'd be facilitating helping the mom with the birth. The men would be in like a circle with their backs toward them. They're facing out as a protection mechanism. Right. And that's the hard part. Cause sometimes, you know, when you're a boy, like you need, well, when you're a boy, like, like you were alluding to, you know, doing what you want and having fun is a big part of your life, you know, playing sports, playing video games and doing what you want to do. And there comes a point where you have to sort of balance that with, with some responsibilities and, and they can be responsibilities that you put on your own shoulders. It's not, I'm not saying like you need to, you know, do what other people tell you to do, but it's like, what burdens do you want to carry? And there's a lot of value in those burdens. Um, and you know, that's what gives life a little bit more meaning. It's not just what feels good. Right. I'd even argue that that is what gives life meaning. Like if you, like, I think as a man, or even if you're not a man, like as, as you're looking to become one, if you're unable to see burden and responsibility as your greatest gift, the cap, like the capacity of meaning that life has is very diminished because what, what we have to understand too is life in and of itself is about pain and suffering. But if we rewire the way we see it, that's what makes life so great. You know, like you talk about people that in, in theory might be the happiest because they have so little, you talk about people like monks and stuff like that, who cut out a lot of excess and they go back to the core. What do they do? They focus on the essential things. And a lot of it's, you know, struggling, like the the lifting weights or even meditation and yoga, like sitting alone and sitting in quiet might be hard for some people. Lifting weights is literally carrying burdens that make you sore, that make you anguished, but people love it. The ones that really understand why they do it. So I think that understanding of that responsibility. And I think what's happened nowadays is one, the way that parenting has shifted, especially with technology, as well as some of the new cultural norms has affected a lot of this, but at the same time too, the whole idea of masculinity 
has become yeah. a negative idea. I mean, they talk about toxic masculinity as if it's always one term, not right. just two things. Like you, you can use toxic to describe it, but you like in a one sense, but you can't use it as its term. Um, but the problem is you tell my boys, you can't be men. It's bad to be men. Men are dangerous. They're bad right. for society. They're bad for other people. They do bad things. What happens? Then they don't become men. They're not given the tools to become men. They don't have the urges to become men. And then you basically have this Peter Pan fallacy where it's, they're like the boys in Neverland. Like they never want to grow up. They think growing up is is weird. And then you couple that too with, you know, I mean, you could you can go in a rabbit hole about porn because that's one of the worst things for guys. But you could yeah. also talk about video games nowadays. Like people misunderstand the violent part of video games isn't the danger. The danger is that they're getting their satisfaction of building and creating things in video games. They level up avatars and stuff like this yeah. in video games. So hundred percent, yeah, worlds. A hundred percent. I I don't even remember the last time I played a video game, but I played them a lot as a kid the most violent, gruesome, gory video games. And I'm one of the most peaceful people that you'll come across. Yeah, I agree with you. It's not the violence in video games. It's the, it, it's spending hours and hours and hours thinking that that is your life and not having that impetus to grow up. It's so funny you mentioned Peter Pan because my kids actually brought him up last week and they were talking to each other about Peter Pan and about Neverland and Hook and everything. And when there was a lull in the conversation, I said, Peter Pan's a loser. And they were like, what? I said, Peter Pan doesn't want to grow up and he wants everybody else to help him. I said, no, the best thing he could do is leave Neverland, grow up and just, just do it. Rip off the bandaid. And my son kind of got it. The girls were like, what is he talking about? You know, they're younger. Yeah. Uh, but my son was like, okay, I see that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a great story because it's very applicable to what's happening now. Yeah. It, it's, I think the coolest, the coolest thing to understand about the whole idea of becoming a man is the fact that you're able to shift your pain and pleasure psychology, like psych, psychological identities and become this individual. Like for me, some of the happiest things that I do is when I'm working on things I'm passionate about. Like there's so many other things that I used to get so much pleasure from and they just don't compare to that meaning. Because yeah. the thing too is like, what what's better than have than doing something that you feel good doing and it makes you feel good after you do it too. Like right. you can feel good now eating a donut and then feel like crap after eating the donut for five, 10 minutes after. You can feel, you can wire yourself to feel good about working out, about yeah. getting sore, about pushing yourself to the limit. And after you work out, you feel even better. Like what's better than that? Like the fact that that's able to happen, that you have the capacity to rile yourself like that, that for me excites me. And I think teaching people that that, that can excite them, right? Because you yeah. can't change anyone, but you can help them change. So it's like, I mean, that's one of the most things that one of the biggest things that I like about what I do is that I'm able to help those who want to be helped. Right. Um, and then, you know, the difference with the, with the fatherhood is it it's your responsibility. You know, it's not whether or not you feel like it. It's like, no, you brought this kid into the world. It's yeah. your job to raise them in the nest and send them out as a contributing movie society. So it's teaching them weak men are the most dangerous men to society. Dangerous men are the most powerful men to society because yeah. You know, if you have someone that can't wield this, uh, that can't wield a, she, um, a sword, they're going to cut themselves. They're going to hurt themselves because they don't know how to do it, or they're going to hurt someone else. 
because yeah. they have no idea how to control it. The most dangerous men are the men that are able to go out, to be dangerous, to be able to be ruthless, but instead they choose to be gentle. They choose to keep their sword by their side because they understand that they have a responsibility to be good members of society. 100%. It goes back to that responsibility. And, the, and you know, weak men, like you were talking about, it's the weak men who do the behaviors that everyone labels as toxic, right? It's the weak man who can't commit to a relationship. So every time he and his girlfriend have a, a minor disagreement, you know, he runs away, he goes into the arms of another girl and just, you know, cheats on her. And, you know, the playboys, that's just, that's low self-esteem. And that's just not holding you or your partner in high regard. And that's, you know, that's the toxic behavior. And there's toxic femininity too, toxic femininity, toxic masculinity. It's all there. That's just being a bad person, right? Yeah. Everyone, we have the moral obligation to become uh, all that we can. You know, we, we're so blessed. Like it's only been like what the last 200 years in history, maybe less where, I mean, I tell people now, I'm like, you guys stop, stop pointing fingers about, I don't have this. I don't have that. You know, a poor person now has access to a flushable toilet, which I'm pretty sure 500 years ago, the King of England didn't have a flushable toilet. He had to sit in his own feces, right? We, we are so blessed. And when we look at it like that, stop comparing ourselves to other people, start looking within and saying, what's my life journey and where do I want to go? That's when things start to happen. And I agree with you. Turn off the video games or at least severely limiting them uh, is definitely a good start. So for me, it's also this idea of when we're looking at raising men in society, women now, they're not looking to be mothers to their partners. They're not looking to partner with boys. They're looking to partner with men, right? Yes. So I think a lot of times too, if you as the individual male, as you as someone that if you can't provide and protect for your own self, you're going to a woman and expecting them to also take you in. And you're, and honestly, those people honestly see those, those partners as their, as their mothers, because they yeah. have to care for them. They have to do for them because they're unable to do for themselves. So I think the most important thing too, is how are you teaching not only, you know, your family, but how are you teaching other people that you see how to become these men, how to become contributing members of society, as well as how to become more dangerous, dangerous, not in the sense that they're harmful, but dangerous in that they're capable. I think yeah. the most important part is that. And it's also, and that's the problem too, is like you talk about a lot of disparities in relationships. It's like, well, you have one side that they're like a lot of times, like, and I'm not speaking for everyone, but you have like females that might be neglecting certain aspects of their life or being okay with being complacent in certain aspects. But then on the other hand, you, you have guys that are unable to step into their own light. They're unable yeah. to assert themselves. They're unable to stand up for their belief and they get walked all over. So what do you have? You have people that, you know, you have women who now that they have social media and all this stuff and they have the ability to access some of the top tier guys, they have heightened expectations and mm -hmm. it's not the person that that person wants. But then the males on the other side, instead of becoming better and becoming the men that these women actually want, they just complain about it. <laughs> right. They're vindictive, they're victims, whatever they want to call it. But then they neglect to self-improve. The women still look at the top guys because these guys don't want to improve and they're unable to assume responsibility for their life. And if you can't assume responsibility for your life, how are you going to assume that someone else wants you because you can't even be responsible for yourself? How are you going to be responsible for them? 100%. Yeah, very well said. Yeah, no, it's it's just been 
it's been a it's been a crazy journey to see the progression of society and i think that you know especially for for people like what we do like i mean you're a personal trainer so you you know you you help these people get into their best shapes that not only changes their physical but changes their mental and then you know the the other side which is you know more of what i do is the content creation part it's just like when we have these messages we have to spread it in everything that we do you know how do you how do you tell someone to get in the best shape? Well, you better be the best per, like personal trainer that teaches them exactly how they can assume control over their lives, how they exert themselves in every manner. And I think the coolest part, in my opinion, is that the physical training aspect is, I think, one of the best gateways into becoming your best self. But- I, I agree. I was going to say that, you know, we have so many different goals, right? And And we're talking about stepping up as men, especially, you know, if you're in that age of late teens, early 20s. I think one of the best ways to do it is, is physical. It's, it's like the first goal you want to attack. If you can say, you know, I want to gain 10 pounds of muscle in the next year and I'm going to lift, I'm going to get strong. I'm going to stay lean. And then you accomplish that. You know how to hit any goal. Now, you know how to become a better uh, potential employee or entrepreneur in the future. You know how to be a better husband. You know how to be a, a better father. You know, you set a goal, you reach toward it day by day, step by step. And, uh, and yeah, I agree. Fitness is the gateway. Absolutely, man. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. What are your key takeaways? What's your closing message and where can people find you at? Yeah, my, uh, this is great. My key takeaways are, it's just great hearing this from, from you as well. You know, you have a, have a good head on your shoulders. You're doing great things. I love this podcast. Um, I think as as males, uh, we have a very unique opportunity to step up and decide that we don't want to live the Peter Pan lifestyle. It's shallow and temporary and very short term. And anyone who lives the Peter Pan lifestyle, I, I mean, maybe even into your 30s, but definitely into your 40s and 50s, you're, you look back and you're like, what was I doing? And we have the opportunity to, to fill up that emptiness with something incredibly meaningful, you know, relationships, parenthood, community, you know, the greater community in our, in our neighborhood, in our city, and to be leaders. And all of us are fully capable of transforming from whatever we're doing. You know, we're living, we're still living at home with our parents. We're fully capable of, of transforming and becoming that leader that everyone needs us to be. Because the, the more we develop ourselves, the more we have to give to the community around us. Uh, and then, uh, and, and thank you for this. My, you know, you can find me online, chrisjanky.com. Uh, also, my fitness business is my core balance. So my balance.com. I'm on social media as well. So um, Isaac, I appreciate the time. This has been great, man. Yeah, again, thank you for coming on. And, you know, just to close it off for, for my part, I think it's just understanding that if you want there to be change in the world, if you see there's issues in the world, if you see there's problems, like we discussed today, we can talk about the problems, but more importantly, how are we talking and how are we going about our solutions, yeah. right? It's not just identifying the problem. It's seeing the problem and what needs to be done. And while we, while we mostly discussed the problems in today's episode, understand that the problems is what we talk about. The, the solving, that's what we're doing. What we do, what we instill in ourselves, what we teach others, what we express to ourselves and the ways we take action, that's how we solve the problem. So while you may think, hey, they're only talking about these problems. No, the solutions are being done, but they're the actions, not the words. 
So it's always understanding that balance. Again, thank you for coming on. Gentlemen, you know how we close it off here. We set, we set, we set. He conquers who conquers himself. I will see you all in the next episode of the Gentleman's Atlas Podcast. That's all for today's episode on the Gentleman's Atlas Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share this episode with someone who needs to hear this message. If you are serious about taking your life to the next level, visit our website, www.thegentlemansatlas.com for all our services, previous content, and full episode transcripts. We greatly appreciate your support and we're excited to see you in the next episode.